Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome one, welcome all. We have some uh, wonderful visitors today uh, from Los Angeles. Listeners who are now attenders um, from the Haredim family. Amazing, beautiful news uh, that, you, uh, that you travel all the way here just for the class. They're going right back as soon as the class is over. <laughs> Sketching, no. It's not true at all. That's not what happened. Okay, also we have, uh, we have with us uh, from Miami, uh, Mr. Bareket, Baruch Hashem. What a zechut to have such special people from opposite sides of the country. We have also with us Joseph Safra from Miami, but I don't want to consider him yet like a resident of Miami. We still want to believe like he belongs to us. He's from, from our Kehillah. So, uh, but we welcome him back with open arms. And of course, uh, the one and the only Sammy Sutton is now back. So you should be hearing chatter behind the video as Sammy makes his, uh, his amazing comments. Okay, let's begin. Today, <laughs> there he is. <laughs> Breakfast of the class dedicated to loving memory, Ms. Lily Shafal Nishmat Batchana. Her philanthropy has reached so many throughout the entire world. Also, dedicated to Nishmat Yosef Ben Goel, may his neshama have an aliyah by the Beruchim family. And the week of Cobra was sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. I feel bad that people came from all these different places. And this is the cup that they're seeing. It's a disaster. We have, to, we have to get them the real cups. I don't know what's going on over here. Also, uh, for, for the dedicated for Rufuash, and of course, for Rabbani Chana Farhi, Chana Bat Sima Fega. Okay, there are some other dedications that are upstairs. Be'ezat Hashem will try and get them done uh, soon, but now we are switching to the summer schedule, so we're not exactly sure. It's probably gonna be that the, bre- the breakfast in the class will be Tuesdays and Thursdays here in the Beit Knesset, but we may be doing also some recordings from, uh, from Deal. It's a little bit uh, up in the air, as you all know the summer usually is. It's a time uh, where we take a little bit of a break in order to be able to rejuvenate and come bring you um, our capacity to do good each and every day. Okay, let's, let's get into it. My friends, we read in the parasha of Korach about what seems to be a mutiny and a rebellion, where Korach attempts to take over the leadership position of Moshe Rabbeinu. He tells Moshe that uh, this idea that you and Aharon are in charge, come on, what's going on over here? We don't need a leader. Ki kulam kedoshim. For the entire kahal, everyone is holy. We don't need you or Aaron to be holy and lead us. We have leaders. Everybody is a leader. Okay? Now, the interesting thing here is that you have to understand where this comes from. Where is this platform of no leaders coming from in Korach? This anarchy that he's calling for. Because Kulam Kedoshim. Chazal tell us that after he saw Moshe become the leader, and Aaron get Kohen Gadol, Korah thought to himself, you know what, at least when it comes to the leader, leadership of the tribe of Levi, you know, that's going to come to me. I'm going to get the next job, if you will. And what's the next job? The next job should go to the next son. And who was it given to instead? It was given to El Safan. El Safan was a younger son of Amram, and therefore he felt that being from an older son, uh, Korach ben Yitzhar ben Kehat, right? So uh, Kehat, this, this was an older son of, uh, of, of Amram. So if that's the case, uh, it doesn't make sense. 
that I should be, I should be getting, uh, I should be losing out on this job to El Zafan. Now, once Korach loses the job to El Zafan, he decides, you know something? Forget it. I'm taking down the whole thing. This is all about nepotism, you know, or about whoever they want to put in the position. Uh, I'm out. Kol ha'eda kulam kedoshim. Now, Moshe's answer to Korach is something very interesting. He says, Rav, Rav lachem b'nei Levi. You are Leviim. You have unbelievable, you know, uh, koach in spirituality. You have an exalted position. It's enough. Be satisfied with what you have. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu tells Korach. But obviously, it doesn't work that way. When a person is power hungry, if they can't have power, nobody can. Correct? So I want to just point out something that I think is really an important thing to recognize over here. You see, Korach's desire for leadership comes from entirely the wrong place. And in some ways, it makes me wonder why Moshe Rabbeinu is having this conversation at all. Now, let me give you an example. Imagine I asked this room, uh, if whoever here has the highest amount of modesty and humility, please raise your hand. You can imagine that anyone who raises their hand, by virtue of the fact that they raised their hand, is out of the race, right? The very fact that you lifted your hand up means that it's not you. Leadership is supposed to be that way. That the person who really, really, really wants the job is not the person for the job. And let me explain what I mean by that. This is a, a very powerful idea. In every other job, it's the opposite. You sit down, and the boss, the board will say, tell us why you want the job. And if they can sense that you're passionate, that you're hungry enough for the job, that's when they hire you. And if there's not that hunger and that desire and that passion for the job, they don't want you, correct? Let's take a look at the model of how Moshe became the head honcho. Hashem says, Moshe, I want it to be you. Moshe is like, no. But it has to be you, but it can't be. I have a speech impediment, you know, send my brother. Moshe spends seven days turning down the job. And what is God's response to that? It has to be you. It can only be you. You see, there's a fundamental disconnect over here between Korach and the job he's running after. Not really only El Tzafan's job. He'll take the lower job so he could get his foot in the door. But what did he really want? He wanted to be in control. And if he could not have control, no one could have control. I want you to understand what that means and what that looks like. Because this idea that the misunderstood model for leadership has wrecks havoc on a, on a, uh, on a, uh, uh, a community, on a people, is not something which is only true in a national level. What is true leadership really about? We just read recently about Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I'm carrying these people. Ka'asher yisa ha'omen et ha'yonek. What does that mean? I'm carrying the people like a nursing mother would carry her baby. At that point, the baby, what can it do for itself? Nothing. It can't order food on Uber Eats, right? 
It can't go to the restaurant. The only place it could get nourishment from is its mother. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I can't carry all of them like a mother carries the baby. But what we see from Moshe Rabbeinu's statement is that for as many as he could, that's how a leader is supposed to take care of his charges, of his people, with the complete dedication. You are not a king when you're a king. You're not a leader when you're a leader. You're not a rabbi when you're a rabbi. You're an evid. You're a slave. You're an omen. If for you the job is about honor and is about prestige, that in and of itself indicates that you should not be in the job. My friends, leadership is not only about rabbis, and it's not only about kings, and it's not only about presidents, it's also about parents. It's also about bosses at work. If you see leadership is a function of being able to give service to another, to be able to make the other person their best, to encourage them, to make them more productive, then you recognize that you, the sum of, this, of its parts are, are, uh, are much greater because you're there managing all of them at the same time. You know, I, one of the, my favorite ideas is the idea that's brought down about Yosef HaTzadik. Yosef's father gave him ketonet pasim. So normally that's translated as a coat of many colors. But anyone who speaks Hebrew will know that pasim doesn't mean colors, it means stripes. And what, what Yaakov was saying to Yosef is that your job, your beged, your clothing is to wear all of the stripes. Up until that point in the Jewish nation, uh, there only was one. It was only Avraham or Yitzchak or Yaakov. Or was it the other brother? The other brother was Yishmael, Nachor, Esav. Right? Suddenly, there was Reuven, Shimon, Nevi, Yehudah, Yitzchak, Zavlum, Right? All the 12 tribes. It was Yosef's job to be the one that wore the coat, the one that held up that his job was to allow for each one to have their lane. Yosef's leadership, that was what its point was supposed to bring out. Not dominion over. And that's what the spies, excuse me, that's what the Shvatim did not understand. They heard his dream. And what did they say? What they said was, Hamaloch timloch banu. Is that the point? Are you going to rule over us? Is that what you're going to do? Yaakov Avinu says to Yosef, what, am I and your mother going to come down to bow to you, the stars and the sun? My friends, there's two reasons why someone might bow to someone. One, one bow is something that we associate with subservience. Like a king, who ha the slaves of the king bow before the king. But there's another bow as well. In Amidah, when we bow to God, what are we expressing in Modim? Thanks. 
A person could bow out of forced subservience, or a person could bow in recognition of what they're receiving and in thanks. You don't have to be a servant in order to do that. Bathsheba is David Amelech's wife. When she finds out that David is going to make Shilomo, her son, the king, after him, she bows. Not because she feels like a slave, even though that's what she says. But she's bowing in thanks. I always loved the idea. And I always imagined that when the... the um, in the dream of Yosef, when the, the, um, the stalks of, are bowing to Yosef, it says there's 11 stalks and they're bowing to me. And how are the stalks arranged in this dream? Does anyone know? How are they arranged, these stalks? Were they standing in a straight line and Yosef was in front of them and they bowed? Right? If the stalks perhaps are in a circle, I want you to imagine a different interpretation to this dream. What is Yosef's job in getting them to bow to him? He's not really the purpose of them bowing towards this center. The purpose of them bowing towards the center is everyone in Am Yisrael realizing it's not about me, it's about the circle. But whether or not the dream was in that format or not, that's what they were bowing to in Yosef. Bowing to the one that wore the coat, that brought them all together. The leader is supposed to serve the people. The leader is supposed to be there for the people. It's not meant to be about him or about her. The moment it starts becoming about him or her, the agendas start to change. In every politician's career, you see this. Even the best of them. They start off with all the best intentions, but the minute they hit office, it becomes the most important mission of their time in office is to ensure that they stay in office. And they forget why they got there, and what put them there, and why the people put them there. And they think only about staying in power. My friends, what does that look like in parents? And I'm not now talking to children to judge their parents. I'm talking to parents who have children. You know, oftentimes we forget that the reason why we demand kavod from our children is not for our sakes. It's not so we could wield over them some form of power. You know why you demand, if you're a parent, honor from your child? Because it's good for your child for them to honor you. But sometimes the reason why you start demanding honor from your child is not the reason why you wind up demanding honor from your child. What starts as being about them? What starts as being about chinuch education? They need to respect their elders. They need to show Hakarat HaTov. Becomes less about Hakarat HaTov and more about me. You don't speak that. I love this, by the way. Sometimes you hear someone say, you don't speak that way to me. And sometimes you hear your father say, you don't speak that way to your father. 
I think those two words in that moment are so different. One is about me. One is about, I cannot let you speak this way to your father. You need to be a better person than a person who can act with impunity, who can speak with disrespect. That's not the right way to live. This is me looking out for you. That's me looking out for myself. Husbands and wives, forget this. They start fighting for space and honor and who gets to make which decision. And at a certain point, it stops being about compromise and bowing to the circle, if you will. Bowing to the needs of the many. Bowing to uh, indicate that I'm thankful to be part of this unified group. And eventually it becomes about some form of manipulation or agenda where I'll give you this, but only because I want to get that. And even my compromises don't come from love or concern anymore. They come from an agenda to get what I want next time. What is Moshe saying to Korach? He's having a conversation with Korach, but really the point of this conversation is moot. You know why? Because Korach wants to be a leader. There's no conversation between a man like Korach and a man like Moshe. It is because of this that the Chachamim say that in the Mishnah and Avot, it tells us, what is the Machloket the Shem Shamayim? Machloket between Bet Shamayim and Bet Hilel. And that Machloket, it's a Machloket for the truth. It's so fully it it's going to last forever. But then there's another Machloket. The Machloket of Shelo L'Shem Shamayim. Not for the sake of heaven. And what is that Machloket? Korach va'adato. Korach and his people. And all the commentators point out that it's not, it's not davar v'hipucho. It's not a thing and it's opposite here. In the first example, who are the two protagonists? Who are arguing with each other? Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel. Korach and Adato are on the same side. So what's the machlok at Shalom L'Shem Shammayim? What should it be? Korach v'Adato and Moshe. Moshe's not mentioned. You know why? Because Moshe's not arguing with Korach and Adato. Moshe doesn't want the job. If Moshe was allowed to, he would walk away. He would have walked away, he would walk away. And by the way, it's amazing. Yehoshua comes two weeks ago, and he's like, Moshe, you know what they're saying about you? That you're going to die and the leadership's going to transfer to somebody else. (laughs) Moshe is like, this is the face of a person who could not give a darn. (laughs) That's not something that worries Moshe. He never wanted the job. He says, Alevai, that the whole nation should be uh, leaders. What's Moshe really saying? How wonderful would it be for me to retire from a job that I loathe? Not because he didn't want to do the job, but because he didn't want to be in charge. He didn't want to be in an elevated position. He's the most humble man that ever lived. And if you can maintain that, I don't want to do this job. I must do this job. I must because there's nobody else. I must because there's no one who can do the job the way I'll do it. If it's about the people, if it's about serving the people, if it costs you a big price, Moshe costs him tziporah, to be the man who receives the prophecy at a moment's notice. 
If you're in for that, for the sacrifice, if you're in for the lack of gratitude, if you're in for the people questioning your every judgment, if you're in for the pain, the difficulties of the people, and you want to help, and you don't think it's a bother, and you want to inspire, and you want to give a class, then you're out for the job. So Korach's not arguing with Moshe. Korach's like, I want the job. Moshe, you're, Moshe's like, and I don't. So where, where's the argument here? You know what the Mishnah is saying? Actually, you know who's really fighting? Korach va'adato. You have a bunch of self-obsessed people, people who are narcissistically chasing power. They're all in a block together right now because they have a common enemy, the person who's on the chair. And maybe Korach is their self-appointed head for the moment because he can unseat Moshe. But they don't want him to get the job either. I was... I found it fascinating, and this is not a question of Republican or Democrat. Let's be honest for one second. The Democrats did not want Joe Biden to be president. Can we all agree on that? Watch the Democratic primaries. Go back and watch what his vice president said about him when it was time when she was running for the seat of president, Kamala Harris. Everyone, it was a joke. He had the lowest numbers of approval in the Democratic primaries. But eventually there came a moment where they realized together this guy had the best chance of unseating Trump. And at that moment, all of a sudden he was everyone's Messiah. Korach va'adato. His people appointed Korach because they thought he could unseat Moshe. But if everyone here is hungry for honor, for power... Who's really in a machloket here? Korach and his people and Moshe? No. Actually, the fight's between Korach and his people. They would tear each other to bits for a little bit of honor or a little bit of glory. So my friends, our take home from this is that the great irony of leadership is that the people who are most worthy of it, and who do the best job, are the people who don't really want to do the job at all. The best father is a father who really would love not to have all the honor of his children. And he's not looking for his kids to go get him water and lift his, you know, put his slippers on and do everything for him. He must teach his children to do so so that they learn proper decorum and respect and gratitude because we are living in a generation that doesn't know what the word means. That every single thing that they get, they believe is coming to them. That if they don't have something that they didn't work for, they'll sue anyone and everyone to get it. If you don't teach your kid that the person they should be most grateful to in the world, their father or their mother, the people that made them, the people that raised them, What chance do they have of being good children? It is a disease that there are parents who tell their children to call them by their first names. Oh, call me Kevin. I want to be close to my children. You're robbing from your child 
The most important thing, you're robbing from your child, the parent. They have lots of people that could be their friends. They have only one dad and only one mom. And only two people in the world who actually, even if it hurts, even if the kid makes a sour face, even if he doesn't like it, is still going to be there and is still going to try and raise them to be the best human being that they can be. So when you come to a position or a time for leadership, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. What do you want to do for your children? That's how you see the mission. What do you want to do for your community? What do you want to do for your organization? Don't get people to vote for you so you can come back and tell your, your wife, I got it. Well, they call your parent, your friends, humble brag. Yeah, so they voted me into the president of the synagogue. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm now, I just, I'm the CEO. If that's what you're doing, we know already that you're going to be bad at your job. Because the main driver for you to get to that place was about you being served by the machine. And the whole point of the job is to lead the machine and to make them the best that they can be. David Amelech doesn't want the job. Shaul doesn't want the job. Moshe doesn't want the job. Esther doesn't want the job. Mordechai doesn't want the job. My friends, those are the people. Those are the leaders you seek out. Those are the people you find for relationships. The people who don't stand on ceremony and on honor, but they stand on service. Hashem should bless us to meet those people. Hashem should bless us to be those people. Baruch Adonai Le'olam.